We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. And welcome back as we head into hour two of our daily three-hour tour. A lot of you who've listened to me regularly or lately know that um, I've been on a tear a bit lately uh, in the conservative movement saying that it's not sufficient for us to just cite the Tenth Amendment on any number of public policy issues that concern us, returning powers to the states. The question becomes, who are you going to return it to? States can err just as much as the federal government and sometimes more so. It's important that you have good people in those positions of state leadership. Someone I have known for many years running for Legislative District 4 House of Representatives here in Arizona is one Maria Sims. The new Legislative District 4 she's running for encompasses large parts of where we broadcast, of course, where our offices is, are, where I live. Maria, uh, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to welcome you back to the show. It's been too long, but you were on a little bit of a hiatus, and now you are running for State House again. How are you, Maria? I'm great, my friend. How are you? I'm doing just I, uh... fine. Thank you. I, I love how you say I'm on a hiatus, and they're pulling me back in. <laughs> Al Pacino-like, yeah? <laughs> Al Pacino. Every time you get out, they drag you back in. But you go in. You don't do anything without gusto. You're going in with gusto. There's a lot you want to do uh, once you get to the uh, Arizona House, State House. And uh, I want to talk to you about that. Let me first uh, give out your website for anyone that is uh, curious and uh, may want to help out. It's simsforaz.com. That's S-Y-M-S-4, F-O-R, A-Z, simsforaz.com. So it has been a while. So let's reset uh, the clock a little bit, Maria, as I do with all first-time guests, though you're not first-time. It's just been a while. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself, how you grew up, and how you came to be doing what you are doing. A little autobiography from you. Sure, I'm happy to. And by the way, Seth, I just want to say, you said you go on a tear. I've never known you to go on a tear. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Maria. Either your you hearing is always, bad or my speaking is bad. I'm not sure what. You are always a gentleman. Oh, always well, thank a gentleman. You. You're kind. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, yes, it's wonderful to be back, and uh, I, I think it's just great what you've been doing uh, to further our good conservative principles. And uh, thank you for holding down the fort, Seth. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, well, to tell you a little bit about me, uh, I uh, I really am what you would call the American dream. I like to say I encompass the American dream for my father. My father came here when uh, he was 23 years old. He had come from uh, the poverty that resulted from World War II in Italy uh, under the fascism of Mussolini. He grew up with no shoes. Uh, he was orphaned, um, and uh, he had no, no language, no money for education, very smart man, but he was able to come to this country, and he learned to trade. He became a barber, and he met my mom, who was a public school teacher, and they bought a little house out on Long Island, and, and he built up his business. And he always emphasized the importance of education. I was just going to say, I. yeah, from becoming a barber immigrant from Italy, one asks what the major ethos was in your family that led you to obtain that American dream, and I was going to guess it was education. Sorry to interrupt. Go sure, ahead. Sure, and yeah. that's, that's, that's a very common story yep. from immigrants from all over the world. 
because we know that education is the great equalizer and that is the key uh, for the American dream. If you're not, if you don't, you know, or if you don't inherit it, right, mm-hmm. you have the opportunities that you create for yourself. And education in America uh, traditionally has been one of the great avenues to achieve those goals and really to give back, uh, to give back to a country that's given so much. And that, that's the ethos that I grew up in. My father was always very community-minded, and uh, so he emphasized education. And my mom, being a public school teacher, I had a great public school education. And then I uh, had the option to go on to college and then went to law school in Washington, D.C. And then I uh, had the honor to work as a staff attorney for the United States Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit in Philadelphia, where Justice Alito was one of the judges that I, I worked for. Oh, wonderful. Um, proud wonderful. to say, great man. And then um, met my husband, fell in love, and he's a physician, and he got his residency out in Hawaii, and I dutifully followed him out there, and I did private practice out there for a while, and, uh, you know, helping businesses push back against regulations and all the red tape that, that hinders their progress. And uh, But my passion was always public service. I had worked at the Justice Department when I was in law school in Washington, and I got back to that, and I became an assistant United States attorney. Um, I moved back to, to L.A. where my husband did a fellowship. I was an assistant United States attorney there during 9-11. It was a very exciting time. And then uh, came to Arizona, and I've uh, lived here for 20 years. Um, and got involved in um, public service here, was a planning commissioner in Paradise Valley. Uh, I was the legal policy advisor to the attorney general and uh, an assistant attorney general, and then uh, was also a town councilwoman in Paradise Valley and a state representative in the old LD28, your old district. Yep, my old stomping grounds, which are now LD4, for those that are curious. And I guess that will... That'll show up when it comes time for voting, in a, right? That, that when it well, com- fingers crossed. There's all kinds of shenanigans going on, as you know, Steph. Yeah. And the, the latest is uh, our Secretary of State has decided to pull the plug on on uh, online petition signing. Right. Um, so we can't do that up until the deadline, which is April 3rd. It's now going to stop March 11th for some reason, yeah. I, a curious reason that, that only she can explain. <laughs> well, Maria Sims, uh, listen, you listen to your biography, you know your record of public service, or I know your record of public service, I should say. And I think about, you know, how timely and important it is for candidates with that background to be sh- coming to the fore. Let's let's just break them down. When you think about it, education, which you have a passion for because it gave you and your family the American dream, and uh, law enforcement and uh, what, what, is, what has happened with crime and policing and all – all that is embodying in, in that over the last several years. Let's start with education, Maria. Um, and, and, and when we have worked together, I, I think it's been on education issues more than anything else that we have worked together on. Uh, talk to me about the state of education today and what you would want to do once elected to the state legislature to help reform it. Well, I think a lot of what I would, I think one takeaway I want everyone to know is that you don't really have to guess where I stand on the issues because I have a record of serving in the legislature. And I also am a mom of three children uh, who have taken advantage of all the, the wonderful array of options in Arizona. So I always like to start with education on a positive note. Good. Arizona 
it has been a godsend for my family because of school choice. Mm-hmm. Be it public school, uh, private school, charter schools, uh, online school, we've taken advantage of it all because one size does not fit all, as you well know, Seth, and we've worked very well together on pushing that, that uh, message mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, one size does not fit all when it comes to your kids, and so we need to find the right fit because there's nothing worse than watching a kid um, just kind of be swept under the rug because they're just kind of getting by, muddling through with a mediocre education. You need to find the right fit, and I think that is one of the wonderful things certainly helped my family um wonderful things about arizona now that said we've got a lot of work to do right it's kind of like the 10th amendment it's not just giving it back to the parents right you have to give them it's not an option if there's no good option right it's not choice if there's no good choice right of course of course and that's we always say we want quality education quality choice right uh for our families because that's the only way they're going to be able to advance right And I think um, more than anything else, what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing when I talk to the people and my constituents and the people when I'm going door to door is that people feel in all aspects of life, but it's especially critical in education, that they are not being listened to. Right. And they feel... They're being spied on, but they're not being listened to. Correct. Yeah. You know, <laughs> okay. All right. Stuff, All right. You, know? you could use that right. line if you want. Okay. You can take that. <laughs> I like it. Oh, yeah. Like Feel free to take I can it. Imagine my surprise. Yeah. You know, I'm, I can imagine my surprise as a Scottsdale mom. Right. To find out that the people in charge of my children's future, right. education, development, yep. are spying on parents. Right. Are you kidding me? Right. right. So, so, you know. Everybody thinks, oh, that's just conspiracy or whatever, and then it'll come to find out, oh, yeah, there it is. There's the evidence. Yep. It is happening. Yep. It's quite shocking. Yep. And uh, I think families are tired of not being listened to, not being heard, being told to shut up, sit down, mask up. This is what we've got. We know better. We know better. Yeah, the state, the state has the monopoly on truth, which is a very frightening, frightening thing to think and how many people buy into it and accept it. Maria, I have to take a quick commercial break. You can stay a bit, right? We can pick up on this when we come back on the other sure. side. Happy I'm Seth Leibson. She's Maria Sims. You want to check out her website, simsforaz.com, S-Y-M-S. We will be right back. Sims is our guest, S-Y-M-S. She is running for the State House of Representatives here in Arizona, Legislative District 4, which is uh, where we broadcast from. Maria, we were talking about education right before the break. I want to stick with that, if I can, just a little bit. Reforms that you would like to see, reforms that you would work on and sponsor when you are elected to the State House of Representatives. Um, talk, talk, to, Give us a little bit more. We were talking about the uh, the insensitivity uh, we were ter- talking about the deaf ears that the administrators and the government officials and the elected officials have been giving parents, going so far at the national levels to even call parents who wanted to speak up on behalf of their children, comparing them to terrorists. Um, that's not what a government confident in itself does, and it's not what a school system does if it's supposed to be receptive to parents. By the way, the first sign of a good school I found is how receptive to parental input that school is. But talk to us about the warp and move of education reform, including where we are on test scores, if you don't mind. 
Yeah, happy to, Seth. You know, um, it's always amazing to me how the left uh, preaches kindness, Mm -hmm. but then doesn't want to listen to parents. You know, kindness so long as you agree with their agenda. Right. And uh, the education union's agenda, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think what parents want is they want accountability. Mm -hmm. So as a state representative, I have and I will continue to push for that kind of accountability. Uh, A great piece of legislation, for example, that is winding its way through the process right now is uh, Senator Bartow's curriculum transparency legislation Mm -hmm. uh, so that it will be much easier for parents to see what's going on in the classroom. And there would be that accountability easily, readily available online for people to access. I mean, the funny thing happened on the way to the pandemic, Seth, as you know, I mean, we pulled back the curtain on the classroom yeah. uh, with the remote learning, and yeah. parents got to see what's really happening. And their fears have been realized now that we can see the test scores. Yeah. So the uh, AZ merit, uh, many may know that that's the measure that we have uh, for proficiency in uh, English and math in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Now, because of the pandemic, the AZ Merit normally uh, is required, and I think they made it optional. Uh, so only 30% of the, I believe it's something like 30% of the students actually took the test. But the results are quite shocking and disturbing. Uh, we have uh, a reduction. I think the verbal scores went down. English arts, English language arts went down uh, 4%. And even worse, our math scores went down. 11% from 2019. And if the alarm bells aren't going off for not just parents, but our community leaders, our community members about this generation, they certainly should be. Yeah, you know, there's an interesting irony here going on, which is living in the time in the area era that we live in, we are told again and again, and it's eminently true, that we have more access to more knowledge than, you know, was exampled or evidenced at, uh, I don't know, the, the the British Museum or the Alexandria Library in Egypt through, 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 through handheld devices, computers, and the Internet. Turns out it's become in some respects the enemy of education, in some respects. And while we went into the pandemic already having a problem with children spending too much time in front of a of a screen. That's what the solution was for way too many, wasn't it? Or at least way too many education officials and government officials send the kids home and put them more in front of a screen. And surprise, surprise, you removed the organ and and, and still demanded the same function. We took away education. Surprise, surprise, learning loss. We took away social interaction and surprise, surprise, suicide ideation. We took away supervision, adult supervision in front of a parent. Surprise, surprise, more abuse. I mean, the kids have had to pay an awfully heavy price for the games these adults have been playing, and I say it's time to stop the games using our children as our pawns. 100%, percent. I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, it's just soul-crushing to see what's happened to these, to these children. Uh, you know, I drove my daughter to school, public school, during the pandemic, and she's masking up the whole time, yeah. and I, I, you know, she's a now a ninth grader, but um, I feel especially bad for the little kids yeah. um, who have to mask up and can't even see their teacher's face. My daughter said to me the other day, I saw my English teacher's face for the first time. It's March. 
she's been in the class since August. I don't get chills often, Maria. That just gave me some. I don't. Not much gives me. No, it's sick. It's sick. It's a sick. And, it's a, it's and, a sick, sick thing. And everything is the you alluded to. Everything is a cost benefit analysis, yeah. right? Right. This the price we have paid and that we have made our children pay is way too high. And you've seen the pictures. You've seen the educators out socially without the masks. The the, the school board members without yep. the masks across the country. Uh, and uh, uh, what, what, what's the picture of the uh, woman running for governor in Georgia? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, Stacey Abrams, right, right, Stacey right. Abrams the only the one unmasked picture. in the room, yeah, with a bunch of kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah doesn't yeah. that just say it all? How about doesn't our Secretary of Education, United States Secretary of Education, two weeks ago saying his favorite thing about learning is the smiles on kids' faces, of which he has seen none for two years. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So we've been preoccupied with something that, as far as I can tell, has not been a real immediate danger to our children. Right. Uh, follow the science. Well, follow the science until it's inconvenient, exactly. right? Exactly. Until the other night before the State of the Union. Exactly. Then all of a sudden, the masks are off. Yeah. Well, the masks are off. Good. Yes. Good. The masks are off on everything. Good. And parents, families, they want to be heard. They demand to be heard. And this you mark my word, this is the year of the parent. Good, good. It started perhaps with some brave folks in Virginia. Uh, we've seen it a little bit here and there, somewhat in San Francisco, somewhat, at least some paying of attention to things in San Francisco that parents were concerned about. I'm a little, it's not the same thing as Virginia. It's not that important that we talk about it right now. But you're right. This should be the the year of the parent. That's exactly right. And the year of the parent in service of their child's mental and educational health and well-being. Because there are no PCR tests for mental health, as someone testified the other day. And it's not as if we went into the pandemic when everything was just fine and dandy what we did was we made things worse for children at every level at every level Uh and it's inexcusable it is inexcusable and i'm really glad you brought up the mental health piece because not only is it soul crushing for the parents to see the children in the mask it's soul crushing for the children you bet and i i witnessed it in my own family seeing the kids you know isolated not having that interaction and we will be paying for this for years to come, oh, and yes. hopefully yep. we won't be paying with a generation if we elect the right leaders to stand up and say, enough is enough, we're throwing away the mask, we are putting our children first, and we're going to start listening. We're going to start listening to the people instead of acting like we're the experts, we know better, nothing to see here. Well, that has got to stop. Enough is enough. Well said, Maria Sims. Can I keep you one more segment? I'd love to talk to you a little bit about crime and police. You have a great background in it. And um, those attitudes have changed here and there for the better and hopefully um, for the better going forward. But, you know, they were really bad for a while. Really bad. Can we talk about that when we come back? Would love to talk about it. Thank Mar- you. You betcha. Maria Sims, candidate for Arizona State House of Representatives. Sims for AZ.com. S-Y-M-S-F-O-R-A-Z.com. L-D-4. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Maria Sims is running for Arizona State House of Representatives in Legislative District 4, Sims for AZ.com. A couple segments ago, she gave us a little bit of her background, which included working in the U.S. Attorney's Office, clerking for Samuel Alito when he was uh, circuit court. 
Maria, uh, law enforcement, uh, talk talk to us a little bit about that. A lot of us watched something we thought we would never see throughout the year 2020, running into 2021, um, demoralization of those we depend upon to keep our community safe, uh, retire, early retirements, people leaving the job, walking away from the job. No one, I think, emblemized, emblemized it better than uh, the former police chief of Seattle, Carmen Best, wonderfully brave woman, not probably even a Republican for that matter, in Seattle after all, who just had to leave because Seattle did not have the police back. When the community wanted to overrun the precincts, the community stood by the people overrunning the precincts and not by the police. It's not how you see things, is it, Maria? Not at all. I I like to say it's it's time to stop defunding the police and start defending the police. Good. Listen, this goes back to what I said earlier about actually having leaders who listen uh, to our constituents, to the people who put them there, and uh, are accountable to them. And and we're seeing a real lapse in that, especially with public safety. And you well know, uh, you've heard me say many times before, government's number one job is to keep our communities safe. And we are seeing what is happening when we... Uh, when we don't support our police officers, we have a 400 uh, sworn officer deficiency in Phoenix. Just Phoenix alone, uh-huh. yeah, right. Just Phoenix alone. And maybe higher, uh, maybe higher, but yeah, at least 400, be. right. Could be. Yep. And uh, we uh, also, you know, Scottsdale's not immune in no. my district. Police chief there, they're, they're struggling too. Um, you know, Chief Jerry Williams in Phoenix, I've known her, worked with her when I was in the legislature. She's a very smart, thoughtful, strong leader, and she's struggling yep. because people are and, – and then there was a statistic that came out today that I think a good percentage of the police force, it might be up to 20 percent, are eligible for retirement yeah. Yeah. in the next year or two. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're not supported, you're not given the resources you need to do your job, you're not given appropriate mental health resources mm-hmm. for what is, we can all agree, a, a terribly daunting task ahead of them. Uh, uh, you wouldn't be surprised if they retire. That's exactly And you're not right. surprised when they don't go to the police academy That's anymore exactly right. and they find another, another uh, profession. It's just, and, and it, it is a, it is a, a crisis, purport, crisis proportions right now. I think everyone can agree crime is up. And morale is down, and we need leaders who are going to change that. I've had a career where I put law enforcement um, at the forefront. Um, when I was a town councilman in Paradise Valley, crime was up. We had uh, cut uh, people had cut cops before I came in. Well, we all know more boots on the ground means less crime. Yep. And that's exactly what happened. We yep. put more boots on the ground, crime goes down. When I was in the legislature. I was on the Public Safety Committee and the Judiciary Committee, and I proposed, introduced, and passed legislation uh, for tougher laws, uh, sentencing for sexual predators, for example. Um, we, we tightened up the sentence, sentencing on that. Uh, also, I one of my signature pieces of legislation was clearing a 6,000 6, rape kit backlog, rape kits that were sitting on the shelf, that were untested because the police officers didn't have the manpower or the resources or the technology to do it. Mm. And we got that done. Good. And I'm happy to say it led to multiple convictions in cold cases. Good. Uh, and uh, a very um, prominent case in Scottsdale, the case of Allison Feldman, a young woman, 
uh, bought her first home, was brutally murdered in her home. She could have been any of our daughters. Yeah. So excited at the beginning of her career and her independence and uh, tragically murdered. Cold case. The police officers kept the case going to their credit, but they didn't have the technology in order to solve the case. I was able to work with the Department of Public Safety so that we could get the DNA technology that we needed, and I'm proud to say that that monster is behind bars on charge of the murder, and his trial is about to begin, thanks to God. Thank God, so, Thank God. Uh, yeah. We need to give, the bottom line of all those examples is we need to give our officers the resources to keep our community safer. It's not because they don't want to. It's because we're not supporting them. So we need to give them that support, and that is absolutely one of my top priorities uh, as a state representative, for sure. Better education, safer streets. Maria Sims, thanks for taking some time out of your campaign schedule. Simsforaz.com. This won't be the last you hear from her, folks. I promise you that. Maria, thank you. We'll talk soon. Uh, thank you, Seth. Always fun. Love you betcha. Godspeed. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. Coming to you live from the Guns Etc. studios. We will be right back. Yeah, welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, brought to you in part by the good folks at Balance of Nature. Did you eat all your veggies today? Did you eat celery, garlic, spinach, wheatgrass, kale, carrots, cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, yam, zucchini, shiitake mushrooms, cayenne peppers? You get all of that and more in just the veggie blend of Balance of Nature, veggies and fruits. Fantastic product. I take it every single day. You want an extra pick-me-up if you're burning the midnight oil or for whatever reason just a little tired? A little more tired than usual, you can take more because you can't overdose on fruits and veggies. Balance of Nature. Check out their fruits and veggies, which I take every day. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. If you're impressed by the veggies, wait till you see the fruits. Apples, cranberries, mangoes, raspberries, strawberries, papaya, grapefruit, blueberries. It's a great blend, and it's all natural with no additives. Balanceofnature.com. Discount code BALANCE. Alexandra, thank you for your patience. Welcome. No problem, Seth. Thank you for your uh, your wonderful guest. I enjoyed her very much, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing uh, learning more about her. You bet. You bet. She's uh, there's an old expression, sort of old, sort of old expression. Um, we say uh, someone has cowbell. She's cowbell. You know, she's not quiet. She's not a shrinking. Violet, this is someone who rolls up her sleeves and wants to go to work on behalf of the American people or the Arizona uh, citizens of their state of Arizona. And we yeah. thank her for that. You betcha. We thank her for you that. betcha. Anyway, uh, thank you. Seth, I'm so sorry for calling again. I want to. <laughs> You're sorry for calling again. My goodness. Yes, we call this a talk show, about, and I give out the the point no, is to I know, to I, know <laughs> I know, I know, but other people deserve a chance. They, they, everyone gets their chance. Everyone gets a chance share something with you and I think you would have uh, you would know about it and appreciate it sure I hope you don't mind sir no. uh, I won't take up too much of your time you're fine uh, but uh, I I rem- I don't know if you've read the title of the book it's taken from the first essay in a volume which is written by Robert Fogham it it lists lessons normally learned in American kindergarten. I remember that I remember I, in the um, in the mid to late 80s everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten is that what we're talking about yes. something like that yeah yes, okay sir. okay yes, I haven't sir. thought about that wanted, in a while yeah yeah I wanted to share that to, to remind people this is the golden rule because uh, I mean I had this when I was in eighth grade 
my eighth grade teacher stuck this on the wall. Oh, neat. It was to remind us every time of what we learned. In uh, And I hope you don't mind. I want to read a little I bit. I don't of mind at all. Thank you, sir. And uh, this is, of course, all I really need to know. I learned in kindergarten by Robert Fulgham. All I really need to know, I learned in kindergarten. All I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but there in the sand pile at Sunday school. These are the things I learned. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. <laughs> Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some. And draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon. When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic. Hold hands and stick together. Be aware of wonder. Remember the little seed in the styrofoam cup? The roots go down and the plant goes up and nobody really knows how or why. But we are all like that. Goldfish and hamsters and white mice and even the little seed in the styrofoam cup. They all die. So do we. And then remember the Dick and Jane books and the first word you learn, the biggest word of all. Look. Everything you need to know is there somewhere. The golden rule and love and basic sanitation. Ecology and politics and equality and sane living. Take any of those items and extrapolate uh, it into the sophisticated adult terms and apply it to your family, life or your work or your government or your world, and it holds true and clear and firm. Think what a better world it would be if all the whole world had cookies and milk about 3 o'clock every afternoon and then lay down with our blankets for a nap, uh, blankies for a nap. Or if all governments had a basic policy to always put things back where they found them and to clean up their own mess. And it is still true, no matter how old you are, when you go out into the world, it is best to hold hands and stick together. And I de- dedicate this to the American people. And I, I you know, miss my childhood. I'm, I'm seeing my country deteriorate in front of me, and it, it hurts. And when I read this, because I have it in a, in a book where I collect very special things and memories and, uh, you know, just expressions and poems, my eighth grade teacher, really, when she gave, you know, put this up there, I, I had a copy made out for me, and I still had it, and I wanted to share it because it just, I thought, maybe to remind everyone what we learned in kindergarten, um, to, to love each other, to, to love our country, to love everybody, not just us, you know. we In order for us to love everyone out there, we need to love ourselves before anything else. And um, that's all I had to say, Seth. I don't want to take up too much of your you're time. Not, you're not taking up time at all. It's no time at all. The only, the only quibble I have is let's not have everyone take a nap at 3 p.m., well, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a, that yeah. would have a direct impact on this show. Let's, totally that's the only quibble I have. But the rest of it yeah, is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. You know what's actually yeah. you, you know what I seized upon in there, though, <clears throat> seized upon the language to say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. You know what I liked about that is it it yeah. understands that people aren't perfect and that 
we're going to fail from time to time, right? I think that's that's an important concession that, that we need to understand as well. Patience with people. But, you know, when we err, there is a magical thing you can do to fix it, and that is to apologize. Ted Koppel put it this way, and I'm not want to quote him too often, but it was one of the better commencement. I study speeches, and one of the speeches, one of the series of speeches I remember studying once were commencement speeches. It was a 1998 commencement speech at Stanford University. There's a line in there, and I think I use it in my annual commencement speech every year. If I don't, I use it quite often. And it was this. He said, set high moral standards for yourself in your life, and when you fail them, as we all do, adjust your life and not the standards. not kind of nice? It is nice. And, you know, it's funny you say that. My boss, the other, <laughs> my boss the other day pulled me aside. I had made a little mistake at work, and he told me I, I, I'm, one, I'm OCD, so I like to do things perfect. But uh, I kind of get sensitive when something, you know, uh, when I get a little lesson. Sure. But I don't, uh, he pulled me aside and he said the same. I mean, he worded it differently. But it's amazing that you mentioned oh, that. It's important. So I mean, because we're that. not perfect. We're not, we're not perfect. No, no, we're not. But no. we have within ourselves the ability to redress it when, when things go wrong. Maybe the best thing I ever did for a boss I had just started working for when I made a mistake and had to own up to it. You know what he said? It was great. Changed everything in my life. He said, um, and I was kind of scared of what he was going to say. He said, that's why God made erasers. Loved it. Loved it. Little patience goes a long way. It's a nice poem, uh, Alexandra. Thank you for reminding us of it. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. I was just thinking, welcome back. I was just thinking about uh, Alexandra's call and the reading and rendering of the poem by Robert Fulgham that she gave. It mentions the golden rule. And, you know, you think about these things. You think a poem like that, simple enough, could be on our school walls everywhere as she had it when she uh, was growing up. And uh, you have to wonder a little bit whether you could even post that today. You wonder if you could even post that today because someone somewhere – with that left-wing instinct, William Buckley once described, the ethic of the liberal is someone who wants to reach into your shower and change the temperature of your water that has reached into our schools. You know, you've gotten rid of, of course, of course you got rid of uh, prayer in school. Of course you got rid of mandatory pledges. Of course you got rid of all sorts of things, including even, you know, just moments of silence and prayers at graduation ceremonies. I wonder if something called the golden rule could sit in a classroom today, just being phrased, or would some liberal leftist somewhere who will help no one, by the way, it will help no one, will be offended by the notion that the golden rule is mentioned in a classroom or is posted in a classroom. That was the first thought I had. Second was I noticed the range of emotions that Alexandra um, exhibited, evidenced to us there was a little bit of being choked up, a little sadness, but also a little hope. I don't know if you detected that. And it's something I kind of wanted to pursue with you all, maybe in the next hour, open lines, your your hour if you want to open up on this or anything else. I welcome your calls. I have it. I have it after listening to the kinds of people running for office, 
that we have on this show. I'm meeting with a lot of them off air, helping a few out here and there as a volunteer. Aren't you feeling a little optimistic? Aren't you feeling a little bit better about this country in the sense that, yeah, things are kind of dark right now when you look at the leadership in Washington, D.C.? But you look at, even in this state, the kinds of people that are running for offices, local and national, you know, are you not encouraged just a little bit? Are you not just a little bit encouraged or more than a little bit encouraged that, as Lincoln said at Gettysburg, this nation under God, by the way, he did say that, this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. Do you not feel that we're about to have that birth? It feels like that to me. It feels like that to me, so long as we don't blow it. Government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from this earth. It can be hidden. It can be hidden. It can be disguised. It can be cabined. It can be suppressed in the name of an emergency. It can be suppressed in the name of a crisis. It can be suppressed in the name of a pandemic. But it can't perish. It can't perish. And it just feels to me like we're on the precipice of a new birth of freedom. Do you feel that way? Whatever you're thinking, whatever you're feeling, give us a buzz. It's your hour, 602 We'll be right back. 